I am really excited for this episode of Doable Discipleship. My name is Doug Jones, and this is a Saddleback Church podcast designed to help you deepen your friendship with God, or as we so lovingly like to call it, it's the show that helps you grow. Uh, Today, we're doing a part two of the episode that we kicked off last week with Ken Baugh. That episode was so good that literally before Ken left the room, we said, we need to schedule another interview and continue this conversation. So we got something on the calendar right away. We recorded another episode with Ken Baugh. If you have not listened to last week's episode, go back and do that because it's going to help be a good precursor for this episode. Uh, But this episode is all about neuroscience and how the structures and the function of your brain actually influence your spiritual growth and your emotional health. So we're going to dig into that with great detail today. I've got my buddy, Rob Jacobs, who's back with us again today because he's got a lot of good stuff to bring to the table and his own personal experience with this stuff. And then Ken Baugh, who we introed last week, is back with us again. So stick around for the theme song. This is going to be a good one. Don't go away. Ken Baugh, thanks for coming back. Good to be back again, seeing your smiley faces, you and Rob. Yeah. The last episode was so good that literally before you left the office, we said, we just need to get another one of these on our calendar right away. So we did that. So now we've got a back-to-back two-parter that I I know our our listeners will really enjoy. We're talking about neurology today, neuroscience, and uh, I think we have to start off by kind of dealing with the elephant in the room, which would be the question, what does this have to do with our spiritual formation and with emotional health? Can you just give us a quick overview for that? Yeah, it really does seem abstract when you think about it. How does neuroscience intersect with discipleship? And uh, I'm not a neuroscientist. I've studied it quite a bit, and it was a big part of my research for my dissertation. But maybe just a real quick backstory as to kind of what brought me to that. Uh, As I was developing this model for discipleship, obviously I I was coming out of a very solid uh, theological basis and had been working for many years, 20 plus years, uh, in the area of psychology and understanding uh, how life experiences affect us. And I I kept coming up empty on the side of the practicality of this. Okay, so yes, theology is practical, right? We talked about that last time. We need that foundational basis of truth. Yeah. Uh, The psychology dynamics help us understand uh, what affects us how to maybe identify some of those things, understanding the developmental process, all that is helpful. Mm. But when it comes down to, okay, how do I now really affect growth and change in my life to the extent of that I I play my part, right? The Holy Spirit is the primary agent of change, but we're in partnership with him. It's a limited partnership, but we're in partnership with him. So it was the, the coming back to scripture again and again, looking at how, our thoughts are central to our life. Mm. So for example, uh, 1 Corinthians 2.16, Paul says, we've been given the mind of Christ. Uh, in our last episode, we talked about the mind as another synonym for heart, for our inner being. Mm. When, when people think about mind, they usually think about their brain, but we actually think from our heart. Mm. So our heart tells our brains what to think about. Mm. Okay, we'll get to some of the nuances of that in a minute, all right? I'm, I know I'm messing with you, those of you that are listening, because Robert, you're heart. looking at me like my dog right now, t- tipping their head going, what? No, you're you're activating all kinds of excited parts of my brain right now. I'm, those are called like neurons. The Wizard of Oz. Yeah. So you're One saying of the, the, the guys on The Wizard of Oz were in search of the same thing? <laughs> 
Oh, um, this is, or this is gonna uh, be fun. I can already tell. Second Corinthians ten five. Take every thought captive to Christ. Uh, Philippians four eight. Whatever is good and true and lovely and pure, think about these things. Yeah. Colossians three one. Set your minds on things above. Set your heart on things above. Uh, uh, Romans twelve one. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Again, yeah. the word mind there isn't referring to your brain. It's referring to your inner being, your right. heart. So, and these are just some examples. So over and over and over again, I kept coming up against, it comes down to what you choose to think about. Mm -hmm. And I was like, wow, that's what took me down the pathway of diving into neuroscience. Mm. Well, you, you talked about last week um, that we are, we're total people, that there's a, there's a multifaceted, there's a, there are multiple dimensions to human existence, that we're singular beings, but that there is, uh, there are certain facets of our being that are worth considering. And I think what goes on in our brains, because we're innately physical creatures as well as being spiritual and emotional and all that, um, that stuff has to be accounted for in our overall growth journey and the decisions that we make. And Yeah, we, I think we need to start looking at discipleship from a holistic perspective and taking all of those things into consideration. Uh, we need to talk at some point today about your non-conscious, uh, which most people understand as your subconscious, but it's actually more accurate to talk about the non-conscious, mm. and that your brain, your brain has 100 billion neurons in it. I said, uh, I actually, I was mistaken in our last podcast, I said your brain uh, has a terabyte of it. It's actually a petabyte. A petabyte the size hard drive, if you want to use that as a comparison, mm -hmm. it, of your brain is that it can hold a petabyte of information, which essentially is all the information on the World Wide Web, right? On the internet. Wow. So Is that a lot? As, just to clarify. <laughs> yeah. Peta? Peta. That means, peta really big, means right? like mega. It's like Greek for giant. Yeah. <laughs> Let's just say megabyte. Well, there's mega, then there's giga, then there's terra, I've and then there's peta the next one, or is it a 7-Eleven sell a peta soda? <laughs> peta size soda? If there are any like uh, software people out there, just... Go ahead and comment and let yeah, us know. Please. <laughs> yeah, please. <laughs> Fix us. I'm sure we've got some people going, you guys do not know what you're talking about. Is this a brain about. issue They're or like a mind issue? Bible, sure <laughs> yes, that's right. Okay, but 100 billion neurons. Yeah. Okay. Essentially, your brain stores everything that's ever happened to you. You just don't have recall, right? Yeah. You just don't have access to it. Right. So that's why things get triggered that bring up memories that you haven't had for a long time. We mm. mentioned that last time. You can walk into a restaurant, smell an apple pie, go back 30 years to grandma's house. You yeah. hadn't thought about that for who knows how long. Yeah, but now totally. all of a sudden it's immediate. So neuroscience, uh, neuroscientists tell us that 99, I'm not exaggerating, 99.9% .9 of what actually influences our behavior is stuff that is going on in our non-conscious. Mm. So... It's amazing when you think about why we do what we do is so influenced by uh, stuff we're not even, that's not even in our conscious mind. Yeah. And so that's why you can drive home the same way every day and pull into your driveway and go, uh, how did I get here? Because mm -hmm. you didn't need to think about it. Right. The brain, in a sense, is very lazy. It wants to uh, automatize things as quickly as possible because it takes energy to think about a new right. thought. So when something happens in your life, your brain automatically goes into this default mode of searching, searching, searching. Oh, that's what—that's the closest thing that uh, represents this situation. Yeah. And if you just let your brain do its thing, it's going to attribute that situation to uh, that experience, which 
may be true, but it also may not be true. Yeah, for good or for bad, right? Exactly. Yeah, preferred routine will arise for good or for bad. Yes. Yeah. If we're not intentional. It can work for us or it can work yeah. against us. We teach this in class 201 uh, when we talk about habit formation. And we, we talk about how habits are a really helpful feature of our brain, that it's it's really great that every time we tie our shoes, we don't have to consciously go through the song about the crisscross and exactly. the rabbit through the hole. It takes an immense amount of mental energy to make all those conscious choices. So habit can be helpful. But as you guys are alluding to, uh, those habits can work against us because like we hinted at last week, we can have a groove that forms in our in our uh, in our mental process that causes us to relive or revisit the same uh, sort of destructive behaviors or pathways again and again and again. Yeah. So if think about a, a vinyl record, right? So depending how old our listeners are, they're going to remember what those were. A vinyl. Well, actually, it's cool now, right? I hear it. It's all. It's back. It's back. It's back. It's so in now. It's I actually all. heard a podcast the other day that was promoting that they had a vinyl record of some of their most popular episodes. So try to get your head around that that circle back to retro days. Interesting. So if you have a vinyl record and you have a deep scratch in it, what happens when the needle hits that scratch? It doesn't keep going around and around. It goes right. It follows that scratch yeah. right through to you know to the end of the of the album. Yeah. In a similar way, when you have entrenched thinking, you go down that pathway automatically. So this is these are all aspects of what neuroscientists refer to as uh, neuroplasticity. Hmm. Your brain is, is, neuropl- is plastic in the sense that it can be uh, formed and changed. It wasn't even that long ago, maybe 20 some years ago, where scientists believed that the brain was pretty much fixed at a certain point of development. Today, uh, they understand that it actually can change over time. Now, yes, it does get more difficult the older we get to change our thinking patterns, not because the brain gets more stiff and resistant, but because there's ingrained thinking patterns that have been ongoing for years and years and years and years. And they're harder to overcome. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So if you th- go back to our uh, record analogy, that rut just get that scratch gets deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. Mm-hmm. And so it it's, takes more energy and effort to get out of that thinking pattern yeah. than it does to get into it. Absolutely. Yeah. That, well, these are great introductory insights to get us rolling with. Rob, you want to talk talk us into that next question? Well, you, you started to allude that so much of this is eventually coming up in behavior. So why is our thought life so important? Why is our thought life so important in our spiritual formation and our discipleship process? What is it about our thoughts uh, that is so key? So last time we talked about the fact that the heart is composed of three primary elements, thought, emotion, and will. Of those three elements, the one that we have the most control over is our thought life. You can't control your emotions directly. I can't just say, be happy yeah. right now. Just be ecstatic, you know, be joyful. You, you, maybe you can work yourself into that. I couldn't even control my emotions this morning. Well, there you I was go. saying earlier. <laughs> there you go. Eight-year-olds, man. <laughs> so, uh, so you do have some capacity, though, to control your will. So think of your will as... Uh, your decision-making process. Mm-hmm. But all of us know that willpower is unsustainable long-term. Just think of the last New Year's resolution you made yeah. and how quickly that you broke that. Yep. But it, it is sustainable for a certain p- amount of time, but it's like holding a beach ball underwater. Eventually, your arms get tired, you let go, and it rockets to the surface. Yeah, there's a fatigue that sets in with, with exercising willpower. Yes. So, But of those three elements, you can control long-term, consistently, 
your thought life. That is within the freedom of will that God gave us. And here's what's amazing, is what you think about is going to indirectly influence your emotions Mm -hmm. that then influence your decisions that then play themselves out in your behavior. So Rob, to answer your question, the reason thinking is essential in our understanding of discipleship is because as I think, uh, in a sense, what Rene Descartes uh, said was true, I think, therefore, I am. As I think, I am. In regard to the quality of life that I experience is largely a result of the thoughts that I choose to rehearse and focus my attention on. So there's that saying, what fires together, wires together. Yeah, so that's that's uh, a Canadian psychologist named Donald Hebb came up with what is called uh, Hebb's Law or Hebb's Axiom, which is neurons that fire together, wire together. So that's what you're referring to. So the more you think about something, the deeper, think about it as the rut, the deeper that rut gets. And what keeps those thoughts in place is what they call the quantum Zeno effect. Whoa, there's a term for the day. There you go. Listeners, you're welcome. Quantum Zeno. Most people understand that as mindfulness, right? Mm -hmm. It's it's essentially the same thing. Yeah. It's it's what you tend to focus, whatever you focus on, whatever you pay attention to. Think about worry, for example, right? One of the reasons Jesus said to not worry is because it forms a rut in our thinking that becomes our default in every situation, right? Mm -hmm. So Jesus created us. He knows how we're wired. So he's saying, don't do that. So what if, if this might be a crude analogy for what you're talking about, but I'm kind of thinking in terms of concentric circles for for the way people think and behave, and it sounds to me like what happens to us a lot of times is we we assume incorrectly how those concentric circles work because we think that our feelings often lie at the core, at the very center, and then those feelings influence our will, and our will influences our behaviors and so on. But it sounds like what you're saying is that actually our will lies at the at near to the center, and that our will can control our thoughts, and our thoughts can control our feelings, and our feelings then can influence our behaviors. Is that? I, I would probably say that the, all three of those are the core. Mm. So they make up uh, three aspects of the core. So if you were to draw a circle and divide it into three equal parts, mm-hmm. and that that would be the core. So one part would be thought, one part would be emotion, one part would be will, mm. and they all influence each other. So it's an interplay. Exactly. Got it. Exactly. So it's not that one is more important than the other, it's that they all work together to influence behavior, but the one that we have direct ability to control, because God gave us that capacity in our free will, Mm -hmm. is what we choose to think about. Yeah. And then into that interplay comes life. (laughs) Yeah. Problems, issues, conflicts. Right. Like, how does that then start to turn those gears? Yeah, that's what I want to... Because that's feel like that's what we struggle with on a daily basis. Right. So what we said last time was that it's not what happens to us in life that causes the most problems. It's how we choose to think about what happens. And then, Rob, you were vulnerable in just sharing some of your own life experiences around that as a little boy. And I was dropped off at daycare a lot as well. So I have some similar experiences that you have. But as a little boy, being dropped off at daycare every day, then being taken to a, a babysitter in the afternoon until my parents got home late at night, later at night, not late at night, but you know, five or six o'clock. Mm-hmm. Uh, as a five-year-old, six-year-old, you're interpreting that uh, experience in a way that may be true and may not be true. Mm-hmm. 
And so, but it gets ingrained. So if you start interpreting that experience that, well, I must not be very important because my parents don't want to spend time with me. I'm unlovable. I mean, you can go a whole bunch of different directions with that. That's that first layer of scratch. Exactly. Hmm. And then things happen in life that would continue to reinforce that. So it becomes like this narrative that plays over and over and over in our head Hmm. that we're not necessarily even aware of because it's taking place in our non-conscious, but it's still affecting us. And you can begin interpreting because that groove already exists. You can start interpreting even unrelated factors in your life and unrelated circumstances. You start kind of funneling them into that same right because the, the brain has created a default. And so it's going to interpret a situation potentially. Your th- a thought is going to come that well, that's what that means. Mm. So my, I'm walking down the hallway. My boss looks at me, you know, and gives me this weird look. And I go to this place. Oh my gosh, I'm going to get fired. Oh, th- my boss doesn't like me. And mm. when when your boss is like, I wasn't even thinking about that. Right? Your your brain though has clicked into this default narrative that if you don't if you're not paying attention to that and go, well, wait a second, maybe that's not true. And so in essence, you force your brain to start going, all right, fine, I'll, end, I'll exert some energy to see if this is really true or not. Yeah. It's, it's resistance because it wants to take the easy way out. It's like that little, the toy that we had as, as, as kids that had the wheels underneath it and every time it hit a wall, it'd just go the opposite direction. That's yeah. kind of, it's the path of least resistance. In a, yes. in a sense, that's, your, your thinking processes are gonna go that direction if you allow it to. Yeah. So there's a, there is a real discipline in what we're talking about because you have to Absolutely. decide, I'm not going to let my brain go down the, gosh, I'm seeing so many tie-ins to you know the other issues that we deal with. I don't want to take us off track, but this makes me think of like the prejudices that we have, the, the, the ways that we interpret the world. Sometimes we have an ingrained worldview that's completely false, but it's, it takes energy to confront the lies in your mind and yes. in your heart and start turning in a better direction. Man, this just seems like it has far-reaching uh, you know, influence over our lives. For sure. So talking, thinking through the last episode, we're talking about the the issues I was feeling around abandonment and those kinds of things. That if I have uh, like a boss, and I've had lots of different jobs, and if I had a boss that like didn't talk to me very often, then I'd be like, "See, that's what that's that's what dads do. They don't talk mm-hmm. to you. You know, they just abandon you. They just leave you to figure everything out on your own." Or and and how that like that can't be helpful, right? No good can come from right. that kind of thinking. And yet here it is, stuff from when I was four or five years old pulling up into, you know, my 40s and it's like how that's not helpful but I'm you get stuck in the rut and then it just takes and that starts to drive actions. Mm. You start to self-sabotage, you start to do things that you're most like, why would you be doing that? That makes no sense. I totally think you're great. Like, yeah. you know, but you don't love me. You're not a good daddy, <laughs> yeah. you know, like it's just the <laughs> stuff that just that that repetitive false lies that we keep telling ourselves again and again and again that's yeah. coming out of this scratch from from years back. It's the falsehood that really sticks out to me. I mean, because yes, it's unhelpful. Yes, it doesn't it doesn't help us move forward. But very often, it's also just flat out false. It's just these aren't these are lies that you're telling yourself. They're not even true. So you end up suffering because of circumstances that actually aren't even real, external to you at least. It's only only the, the internal circumstances creating this. So effect. as believers, there's another dynamic behind this. It's called spiritual warfare. Yeah. So when you think about the fact that Satan is the father of lies, he's the accuser of the brethren, he is the, he is the one that is kind of behind the scenes trying to pull the strings on tempting us to think these deceptive thoughts. Yeah. Satan can't make us think something, but he can tempt us to think, to think a thought that is, that is false. Mm-hmm. That's why 
having a strong understanding of scripture is essential to the rewiring of the brain. Mm -hmm. So I would say scripture memorization, meditating on scripture, uh, uh, just going, going over it constantly in our, in our thoughts gives us God's truth to think God's thoughts mm -hmm. that then become our default in those situations as opposed to uh, something negative. Yeah. You're digging a new, you're digging a new groove. You're digging right? a new groove. It, it's, this is really amazing. Let me just tell you a quick story. Uh, Arnie May in, of the University of uh, Regensburg uh, did a juggling experiment with some of his students. So what they did is they, uh, he took uh, one class of students and he taught them this three ball juggling act, real simple juggling act. He did a brain scan before and then a brain scan after. So for three weeks, they practiced this juggling act for an hour a day. Before the, the test, the gray matter in the area of the brain, which is a, an area where you would see neurons developing, you, you, this is an amazing thing. You actually can create matter by your thinking. When you think a thought, it, the neurons are created. It's, hmm. it's quite an incredible thing. Hmm. So at the end of the three weeks, they did another brain scan and they discovered the area of the brain because they've mapped the brain. So they know, you know what areas are activated when you're moving certain fingers or doing certain different things. Mm -hmm. And so there was new gray matter that formed as a result of this juggling act. Okay, that's, that's not news. They, they knew that was going to happen. Then he did. Then he took that group and he cut it in half and he said, okay, half of you guys now, I want you to stop juggling for the next three weeks. The other half, I want you to continue practicing your juggling. Then they did brain scan again at the end of that and they discovered that the, the test group that stopped juggling, all that gray matter that had formed in their brain prior was gone. Wow. And the, the in test In the span group, of how long? Three weeks? Three weeks. Wow. And the test group that they continued, it just, it got stronger. Wow. Okay, now that's not even the best part, right? This is like a Ginsu knife commercial. It just gets better. <laughs> Tell me more. <laughs> they, he then took another group and he said, okay, now what I want you guys to do is I want you for an hour a day, for the next three weeks, I want you to just sit still, close your eyes, and I want you to visualize or imagine that you're juggling these, these balls, mm. okay? Tested that group at the end. He'd actually, I'm sorry, he'd actually taken the group that stopped doing it, that it, it all went away. That's the group that he had now take it and visualize it. Came back, tested them at the end, and guess what? It was back. It was Great back. matters back, baby. So here's the deal. The brain can't actually tell what's real and what's not real. Mm. That's why virtual reality is such a scary thing. Yeah. And that's something that we're going to be dealing with as believers in, we're already dealing with it to a degree, but not in the not too distant future, the ethical implications uh, that are associated with virtual reality and how your brain can take that data and it assumes it's real. Yeah. That's why dreams can be so disturbing. Right. Yeah, and it, it kind of gets you thinking. Well, okay, so if virtual, if a virtual, a virtual world is a world that can exist without any consequences in the real world or in the external world. Well, what you're saying is that's flat out false. That's not possible because your brain interprets it as though it were a part of the real world, yes. and it may influence your behavior and your thoughts in the real world. Yeah, and so your capacity to actually stay in reality comes as a result of you recognizing that, no, that's not what is real. Yeah. I'm going to override those lies with the truth. So mm -hmm. you can see the implications here for spiritual growth and development. Well, you can, you can right? even see that in just the use of our, the use of our phones, even the way totally. we engage with, you know, uh, <clears throat> it's so easy to, 
to blast a text to someone who's not present with you, but you, you in that sense, you feel like, hey, they're, they're present with me. Or to blow someone up on Twitter or Facebook. And, um, you know, I just, I read something the other day that says anger is the emotion of the internet. Oh, yeah. And it's just, it's so easy because it's just like, you know, you can just get into that habit, get into that emotional rut of just boom, 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 boom. Yeah. And it's like, you are literally physically getting angry. Yeah. You're, you're feeling all the symptoms of anger. And this is, it's, <laughs> you're just texting someone or shooting a tweet. It's like, they're not there in front of you. And you're, but all of the same physiological stuff is there. You're altering your brain in a way that will, that will amplify these behaviors that you're showing Which online. ultimately is, then goes back to what you're saying, is influencing yeah. our heart. So let's talk next about, because um, I think we're painting a, a, an exciting, an interesting, a little bit of a scary picture of just how moldable our brain is. So can we talk about some practical ways to control our thoughts? Because, I mean, this is doable discipleship. we got to figure out how, as believers, do we gain mastery over our minds? You mentioned, Doug, that it, this is a discipline, and I, I believe it is. It is a spiritual discipline that goes back to Paul's words in 2 Corinthians 10.5, to take every thought captive to Christ. Yeah. Now, the way that I understand that is I have a thought, taking it captive to Christ, in essence, means that now I'm holding that thought up against what God says is true, mm. uh, according to his word. So for example, if I don't feel like I'm lovable because of life experiences that have reinforced that. And so that's a narrative that kind of plays in the back of my mind that I may or may not be aware of. God's word says that I am lovable because God says I am. I'm creating his image and likeness. My value has been decreed by God that he values me. He chooses to love me regardless of my performance. That's what grace is all about. So when I start focusing my attention on that truth, then the lies that I'm unlovable, that I'm unworthy, that I must, you know, wherever that's going to take you, those will start dissipating because every time I have that negative thought and I replace it with what God says is true, a, a God thought with the mind of Christ, according to scripture, it is rewiring that deception in my brain. Hmm. Basic, it takes basically three 21-day treatments where you're identifying a negative thought and replacing it with a true thought. It's not, it's not unlike chemo. My sister-in-law is going through uh, chemotherapy right now. And, you know, chemo is, it's just toxic in the body. It just yeah. basically... It's by its own definition, really. Yeah, yeah. it just kills Poisonous. everything in your body. And uh, the treatments are, are, are brutal. Yeah. In a similar way, we need to attack those negative thoughts, those distortions, those lies, and treat it like it's cancer, mm. because in essence it is. And when we become believers, we become a new creation in Christ. But all of those memories don't just disappear. All of those narratives that have been reinforced for years don't just go away. Mm. God doesn't hit the clear button. Why? Partly because we need to resolve those things in the context of relationship because we're relational beings. Mm -hmm. It's love that actually uh, gets us to this place of, of transformation. It's God's love, which is agape, which is unique to him, that is what brings about this change because agape is I love you for no good reason. Yeah, I love you, period. Period. That's it. 
And, and that's unsettling to us if we really think about it, because it requires that we become vulnerable and humble ourselves to acknowledge we need that and then let the force fields down so we can let that love in. Because God doesn't force his love on us. Right. He makes it available to us constantly. Mm. He, but he's given us the capacity to choose how much of that love we're going to open ourselves to. Yeah. And so often it's, it's shame and the, the, the fear that comes out of shame that keeps that, uh, that, that spigot really narrow. I liken it to uh, most of us drink from the ocean of God's love that is available to us through a cocktail straw. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. So what, I don't want to use too strong a word here, but it sounds like what I'm hearing is there is a there's a confrontation that has to happen between the lies that exist in our minds and the truth that God supplies. That we have to we have to be willing to do the hard work of receiving truth from God and arming ourselves with that and confronting the lies that that have kind of ravaged us for so long. Yes, that's an essential part, but it's not the whole thing. We also have to experience the reality of that mm. in the context of relationship. Hmm. This comes back to God created us as relational beings, so we need a relationship with him, the vertical, but we need relationship with each other, the horizontal. That's where Hmm. the body of Christ comes in. You can know all of the scripture about God's love for you, but the the head and the heart internalize data differently. Hmm. And you can know something intellectually that it does not have any emotion attached to it whatsoever. Hmm. So if you never experience love in the context of relationship, with another person, especially a believer who is indwelt with the Holy Spirit, who can be a conduit of God's agape. We can't generate agape on our own, but we can be distributors of it because as we receive it, then we're able to be conduits of it to other people. Mm. And so it requires both of those dynamics. There is an intellectual assault, a a war, if you will, but we can't fight that battle alone. We have to Mm. do it together. Mm. Wow. Well, hopefully we're helping people get get that process kickstarted now. I want to I want to ask a question that I think uh we all sort of experience this on a day-to-day basis, but it's it seems like it's really easy to go to the negative place. Negative thoughts seem to seem to come just so naturally to us and positive thoughts seem a lot harder. Um is there anything more you want to say about why that's so difficult? Why that plays out that Some way? Some of it is how mem- memory gets encoded that if you have a negative experience it often triggers a fight or flight response in the brain. So it reinforces that experience with a biological, with super glue, if you will. Mm. So part of why it's difficult to break out of those negative thinking patterns is because it's been so reinforced because I've paid attention to that. That's become the, the prevailing narrative that I'm believing and thinking about. And so the negative thoughts be, just become a, a default. Mm. There's also this uh, idea that comes from neuroscience about this negative bias of the brain. And the way that it plays out is we are actually wired for love. We're wired to think positively, but when something happens that's negative, it's such a assault to our orientation that it gets, we pay attention to it. So the act of paying attention to it makes it ingrain itself, embed itself deeper into our thinking. Because Mm -hmm. remember, whatever you pay attention to is what's going to take root. So if I become, and to pay attention to something, you have to be aware of it. You have to actually be doing it consciously. Right. So something uh, bad happens, 
to me. I get fired from my job. That triggers all kinds of shame and guilt and I wasn't enough or I'm not good enough or people don't like me or whatever. Often that has uh, uh, tendrils, if you will, that go down into our non-conscious that triggers other stuff that's under there that reinforces that from past experiences. And so now I've got this huge amount of data supporting my negative thought that, yeah, I really am not enough. I'm really a loser. I'm really uh, a failure. And if we let ourselves continue to think those thoughts, then we get we just get deeper and deeper and deeper. And so what happens is the the brain has this response to that, this fight or flight response that releases adrenaline and cortisol in your bloodstream. It basically prepares you to to protect yourself. Mm that has all kinds of other negative implications physiologically as well. So it just creates this, this uh, cocktail, if you will, I don't know what other me metaphor to use, that is just lethal mm. to us emotionally and spiritually. Yeah, and, it, and difficult to overcome. And it's interesting how it just, it, it plays out so frequently. I think like we're hearing, you may be tempted to think it's like, well, this is worst case stuff. And it's actually- Oh, no way. Daily, day in, day you know, out. daily. I, I would say moment by moment. Yeah, moment by yeah. moment. Like yeah. I, I, one of the things I think about is like my own experience. I kind of have a withdrawing personality. Like the the stance my personality takes is kind of a to step back from issues. Or if there's like a challenge, then for me it's always like, well, I don't, I don't know enough, and and because of my past, because of my hurts, if you don't know something, things are not safe. So. Just like you can name the littlest of thing, like, hey, we're gonna talk about X, Y, Z, and I'm like, oh, I need to go get a book on that. I need to go listen to a podcast. And it's like, you don't. And it's like people around me, are like, you actually don't need anything. You just need to come sit down with us. <laughs> and I'm like, no, I need to go spend a day away, and I need to research all this stuff because I'm only valuable with what I show up with in knowledge. You will reject me if I don't know something. Mm -hmm. And so, in just work life, family life, all of it is if I don't know. I'm not valuable, and if I don't know, things are not safe. And so that repetitive uh, groove that I've worked myself into, based off of stuff that comes from way back in my past, way back in my childhood, um, starts to create one. It's well, it's, one, it's a lie, but but two, it starts to create all these things that not only start to impact me, but then they start to impact others, and it takes others to help say, hey. No, Dude, what are you doing? <laughs> like, yeah. You know, you know enough to, you know, like you don't have to go get a degree in computer program to learn how to use the iPad. Just sit down. Like, I'm going to show you something. It's, just, <laughs> it's very intuitive. Yeah. It's just so the stuff that like starts to spin out into your world and you start to, I think, I think stopping to think about your thoughts has been, that has probably been one of the most important disciplines I have learned maybe over the past year mm -hmm. um, to, to stop and think about my thinking. Um, and I think that, to me, is why the quiet time has been so important, but also having, as Ken, as you were saying, to have others in my life that I can say, I'm really wrestling with this right now. And for them just to say what I already know, which, dude, you know that's not true. That is not true. God does not see you in that way at all. But I need to hear that. It's like, mm -hmm. I need to tell myself it, and I need someone on the outside to tell me it as well. It's like, you know, I need to come from within and from without. There's something um, really validating about hearing it from other people too, because you can come up with all kinds of excuses why you're wrong, <laughs> you know, like why you can try to confront those thoughts and you can explain away your own 
you know, rationale. But when other people say it, it's a little bit harder to refute. It, it reminds it's kind of, and this is a funny thought that came to my head, but you know, like you take class 301 and you kind of learn your shape or whatever. There's something validating about someone like this thing on the outside saying, yeah, really, God did make you that way. You're, you uh -huh. are really good at that. And we are saying what you, th you may think you already know, but it's true. And to have people to validate kind of what you know that, and to see those truths of, of you and how God created you, and that's how you get through the day sometimes. Yeah. So this is why sharing your story with other safe people, and I think we need to qualify it as safe people because not everybody is safe. Oh, yeah. A safe person is someone who will listen, who will validate, who will empathize, who will show you compassion, uh, won't judge you or criticize you or condemn you. But when we share our hurt with, with another person that is safe and they validate it, that, that thought that it was connected to that experience is forever changed. It does not go back in the same way that it came out. Because I share an experience with Rob, and Rob says, man, Ken, I'm really sorry. That, that was really terrible. And it's like, yeah, you're right, it was. You must have felt really sad to be left by, as a little boy all those times. And man, what it, what it, how did that cause you to feel? So you start having this conversation where this person is validating, in essence, your very existence and the situation that you're showing you love and compassion, that then starts rewiring that memory in a different way. Mm. Memory is recorded in two primary ways. It's called explicit and implicit memory. Think of it as two tracks on a railroad track. You have an experience take place. You implicit, the explicit is these are the facts about what happened. This is the place that it happened. This, this are the names of the people that were there when that happened. Uh, and then the implicit memory is kind of the feeling side of it. It's your gut. It's, it's this intuition. It's, it's mm. kind of, I know that that's true, but I'm not sure why it's true. I can't mm. quite put my finger on it. And what's, what's really interesting is that things can be encoded in your implicit memory that you're not even aware of. That's why subliminal seduction is a real thing. Mm. Remember years ago, uh, in the uh, in the previews of movies at the theater, right? They would put like popcorn, go buy popcorn, and they, mm -hmm. they would flash it up, and you wouldn't even see it with your natural eye, but your your non conscious would pick it up. There's another thing on YouTube. You guys that are listening might even go Google it. It's uh, this gorilla. These so they show this picture of these these kids bouncing basketballs and everything, and you get so fixated on that. Then this gorilla uh, guy dressed up in a gorilla costume kind of walks through the back and. When, uh, when, when you stop and you ask them questions about what did you see, they'll just talk about the kids playing basketball and do not see, did you see the gorilla? <laughs> what gorilla? I didn't see any gorilla. Then you go back and you look and it's like, oh my gosh, there's a gorilla. How did I miss that? <laughs> How was I so fixated? Exactly. Yeah. But again, it's what you're paying attention to. You can go buy a new car. Let's say you go buy a new white Honda Civic. And as you drive that off the lot, you never saw another white Honda Civic. Or if you did, you just didn't really matter. And now you're like, oh my gosh, everybody has a white Honda Civic. Why am I all of a sudden noticing that? Because you're paying attention. Yeah. So we're talking a little bit about um, dealing with triggers right now. And because um, I think that's what we're talking about when we talk about how we have to be vigilant on this day in and day out and every moment of the day. It's because these things are going to come up and we need to have a way of re responding to those. So how... How can we, how, 
something tells me that time is of the essence, that it's probably better to respond to a trigger as soon as it occurs rather than let that thought process kind of start spiraling and then try to confront it. But can you give us some tips on, I'll give you an example for me. So I am a, Rob asked me this question in a meeting that he and I had one-on-one recently. He's like, what's the lie? What's the lie that you believe that dictates a lot of the, just dictates a lot of the way you operate and the emotions that you feel in ministry or or any other area of life. And the lie for me is always the lie that you've got to be perfect, that perfect performance is required. That's not really ever been a part of my workplace or my marriage or that kind of thing, but it's something that's in me. And I'm an Enneagram type one for anyone who cares about that. I was just thinking. I'm the, I'm perfectionist. The, the generous name for my type is the reformer, but really it's a perfectionist. It's someone who thinks perfection is not only something to aspire to, but that is required of you. And that comes up for me in all kinds of different ways. So like the, the, the way that ministry makes me confront that all the time is in public speaking. So when I got to get up in front of a crowd, I have some of the same thoughts that Rob talked about. Like I need to know my stuff. I need to be prepared. I need to deliver this eloquently. I need to deliver it perfectly or else I'm going to look like a, I'm going to look like a dummy and the, the cascade of thoughts that comes from that. So that gets triggered for me all the time because public speaking is just a, it's just a part of reality for me. Like as long as I'm doing what I do, it's going to be a reality. And so I have to confront those. What, what are the ways that we can, what are the ways that we can respond to our triggers early on to prevent going down that old rut? So let's just take your example that, <clears throat> that you shared. Thanks for sharing that. It, you, you can prepare yourself as you go into your next public speaking opportunity by uh, knowing that that's going to be something you're going to struggle with. So just, just anticipate that and be proactive mm-hmm. instead of reactive. And it's like, my value isn't based on how good I do in this situation or not. This isn't all, it, this isn't about me <clears throat> uh, exclusively. You know, I came to a place in my uh, preaching and teaching ministry where I realized that what I said was not necessarily what that person in the pew heard Hmm. because the Holy Spirit is in between as is all their narratives and thinking. I mean, you know, people only pay attention at best for seven minutes at a time. Hmm. And so just rehearsing the reality of the communication process of what I know that I'm going to be struggling with afterwards, my value isn't based upon this, sharing that with your wife or a good friend that, hey, I'm getting ready to go into this speaking time and you know my my pattern is to really kind of start sabotaging myself in mm-hmm. in that and just sharing that with them because what you're what you're talking about Doug are all very variations of shame mm-hmm. shame loses its power over us when we share it with others shame only has power in secrecy mm-hmm. once we start identifying it and sharing it when we bring it into the light so to speak it loses all of its power so when you start sharing with somebody some of the things that you're struggling with and the reason that I think I have to do the perfect job is because if I don't, I'm going to get fired. Or if I don't, people aren't going to like me or they're going to think that I'm a, a, a dummy. Well, maybe some people will, but who cares? Yeah. And so it's, it's being intentional about that. Here's a, here's a general rule of thumb that I try to apply even in my own life. When I have a disproportionate response to a situation, I know something's being triggered in me. Yeah. So if I'm driving down the freeway and somebody cuts me off and I feel like running them into the wall, that's a disproportionate (laughs) response to the situation. So I've had to train myself, and and it really is a matter of training. Mm. I've had to train myself to 
uh, to think differently about that person. Let me give another example. After our, my termination as a senior pastor, I would wake up at night, two, three o'clock in the morning, just in panic mode. You know, what am I going to do? Mm. Uh, so what I did is I started memorizing scripture, and it really doesn't matter what scripture you memorize. What I started to do is I would then start rehearsing the scripture that I had memorized immediately when I started, uh, when I'd wake up worrying, and the next thing I know, I'd wake up the next morning. Your brain can't multitask. You know, we think that we can do multiple things at a time. You can't. You can, you can do it quickly, nanoseconds, but the brain can only focus on one thing at a time. So if you're afraid and you start allowing yourself to think about every possible thing to reinforce that fear, you're going to become more afraid. Yeah. But if you immediately take that fear, right? Peter says, cast your cares upon him for he cares for you. I mean, we have so many biblical principles here that then, and the, you know, uh, the hardest kept it was at Isaiah 43, uh, you, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on, on, on thee. You mm -hmm. can tell some of these I've had memorized in the King James mm -hmm. uh, from years ago. But there is, a, there is something that is so powerful about what I'm paying attention to that when I take the focus off of the negative or the hurt or the pain or whatever and put it on what God says is true, then it produces a different result. Mm. So yeah, so there's a... There's a there's a speed. If we can react quickly to that, then we can turn the tide. Yes. The sooner we can grab yes. it, we're saying, nope, not going to think that way. We're going to move. We're going to redirect over to this. Say, we're going to reinforce this positive groove and deprive the negative one that I've maybe been feeding yes. for so long. The sooner you can do that, as well as, depending on what the situation is, the sooner you can share it with another safe person. Yeah. When you do both of those things, you reinforce the, the, uh, the truth substantially. See, this is so important for me to hear because again, being being the perfectionist type, even when you say sharing that with others, that's a hurdle that I have to overcome as well. Because sharing that shame or sharing that insecurity with others is its own trigger. It's yes. like, well now you're admitting imperfection just in a different venue. Right. So there's a real there's a real process that I have to engage there. And that that's but you can it's it's, un, it's underway. But you can see Doug how in bondage we get to this. Yeah. And that's why in that infographic that we attached to the, the show notes of the last, our last podcast, mm -hmm. there's that whole side that shows the heart in a prison of isolation. Be that's where we are the most vulnerable to Satan's lies, when we are isolated. Think about when Satan attacked Jesus. He attacked him in the wilderness. Yeah. Uh, he comes to us when we are vulnerable. Our most vulnerable place is when we are alone. Mm -hmm. That's why biblical community is essential to our discipleship. We yeah. cannot grow in Christ alone, nor do I believe we can actually experience the qualities of the abundant life, the love and the joy and the peace and the hope, those things that make up the abundant life in isolation. We have to have an experiential relational context that reinforces the truth in our head, our thinking, mm. uh, that, uh, that, that makes it real. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you're totally right. Let's uh, let's let's kind of deal with some maybe misconceptions that people might have, or they, there might be some somebody who's reacting to this. Hopefully, by this point, you've won them over. But the person who's like, "Is this really that effective? Like, aren't we just talking about like the power of positive thinking? And is that really like a long term strategy for altering our minds?" What would you say to that? Yeah, I'm really glad you brought that up. Uh, 
there is some truth to that. It, it really, it is the power of positive thinking. There is a result that positive thinking produces. Mm -hmm. But what we're talking about is the positive thinking that we're, in, that we're investing ourselves in is scripture. It's not yeah. anything else. Mm -hmm. So our focus is on the word of God yeah. as the means of absolute truth that is untainted by any life experience. Nothing that happens to me can uh, dictate what is true from God's perspective. Mm -hmm. He is outside of our time and space. And so that when I choose to believe that what he tells me is true in his word, and then affirms that and confirms that in my heart through the Holy Spirit, which is one of the works of the, of the Spirit, mm -hmm. uh, Romans 5, 5, then, and we start to believe that, then it has the effect that in, a, in, in a, not a dissimilar way, the power of positive thinking. Again, we got to remember that all truth is God's truth. If something is true, it's true. Mm -hmm. So there is some truth to the fact of the power of positive thinking by Norman Vincent Peale. Yeah. But we're not, that's not what we're advocating here. We're advocating what scripture, I've already gone through a number of verses that talk yeah. about pay attention to what you're thinking about. Yeah. And uh, the heart is really the issue. It's not the brain. Your heart tells your brain what to think. That's why we have to be cultivating and working on our heart. There, there, those three gears, there's a fourth gear in the heart that I think we need to talk about. So you have thought, emotion, and will. And in, in the diagram that we made available to everybody, uh, I liken those to gears. But there's a fourth gear. I refer to that fourth gear as the unresolved spiritual and emotional conflicts that we all have. Now think about this. If those four gears are together, I think about a transmission and my distorted thinking and lies that I'm choosing to dwell on are the result of unresolved painful life experiences that I've had. As that gear turns, guess what else it turns? It turns my thinking, it turns my emotions, it turns my will, mm. and that all affects my behavior. So whatever is unresolved, those unresolved, that unresolved pain that's in our non-conscious, that's deep, 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 deep down there. The, the Bible says that the heart is a deep place mm. that only God knows. That is going to, uh, to affect my, my life. Yes. Yeah. <clears throat> this morning is a perfect example for me. I was telling you guys before the show started how I was like, <clears throat> I have an eight-year-old son, as father and son are wont to do from time to time. We had a bit of an issue this morning. But like, and then I checked my email, which was a big mistake because I was like, I have three big things on the calendar I got to get done today. And, you know, they're, they're just, so it's, all this starts building, right? So I have my thoughts, my will, you know, all the, the gears are there. And then what comes up? The shame of you don't know enough. You don't, you don't, you're not, you don't know enough for the show today. You don't know enough for the meeting you're going to. You don't know enough what to say at the staff meeting today. You don't know enough how to parent your son right. It all starts burning. Then, you know, gears are starting to smoke. Yeah, because, because, and this is why it's such soul work, right? Because the soul is the, the, the spiritual connected to the physical, right? Like the, 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 the body and the spirit. Mm -hmm. So then my body starts physically reacting, right? Oh, I start yeah. net necks tightening up, backs tightening up. And it's I can feel the triggers coming on and I can mm -hmm. feel all this. I mean, even when I sat down with you guys, I'm like, I'm not, you know, I don't, I don't know what to say in the show. And so like all my shame of like, you're only worthy for what you know. You're only, you, the only value we have on this show is if you make some amazing con contribution of thinking and thought, which I have not done to this point at all on this show. 
but it's it's just it's all going back to those emotional that emotional baggage that undealt with emotional issues that I have from my past that yeah. start to spin my gears that then spin out into my physiology my you know and then it just all comes pouring out and it's it's everything about me today is been reflected because of that central thing of like yeah uh, I have some shame around feeling like I'm not good enough hmm. and it just you know and it just comes pouring out into every part of it so when I hear what I'm hearing from you uh, Ken, is that it's 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 a it's important, and it, we need to recognize that there is power in positive thinking. But it's it's almost what you're saying is it's more important to focus on truthful thinking, right? Because you're saying it's not just it's not just us saying like rah rah, like everything's fine, like you can do it, pal. It's not that hollow pat on the back, but it's actually responding to lies with the solid, eternal, and objective truth. Of God's word, so yes. positive thinking is kind of. I'm hearing it as another way of saying accurate thinking. Yes, you're thinking scripturally accurately about yourself and who God says you yeah, are. Yeah, I. It's, yeah, I mean, I've even used the phrase biblically informed thinking. Yeah, yeah. perfect. It's everything you needs right inside of you versus Christ in you. Yes, right. Um, you 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 mentioned something earlier in the show. You're talking about mindfulness, and I think so that the counter to this is some people get a, and mindfulness is now kind of a buzzword. The counter to this is people say, clear your mind of everything. Right. Don't have thoughts. Just clear your mind. Or the escapism and, and distracting yourself. Right, right. Like, you know, get into your yoga position and just, you know, do your ohms and, and have nothing just in your let head. let go of the wheel. <laughs> so, but that does nothing to address the heart. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's Eastern, that's Eastern meditation. That's not what we're advocating here. We're advocating biblical meditation. Mm -hmm. We're advocating David in the psalm over and over and over again. Uh, and I think, you know, let, let's take a minute, let's talk about some spiritual practices, getting practical about this, yeah, that please. we can engage in. Again, we cannot make ourselves grow, but there's things that we can do that then the Spirit of God works through to bring about that growth. So if, if we, and we would agree that, that knowing Scripture is essential to our transformation. To Absolutely essential. But if I never sit down and open my Bible and read it, I, I can't. The, the Holy Spirit can't use it to bring about that growth. Yeah, He's not going to read it for me. So the, the, the discipline, if you will, the spiritual discipline, the practice is to spend time reading the word. Yeah. So there are things that we, uh, that we can do, practices that we can participate in that then uh, work out in a partnership with the Holy Spirit. Yeah. So here, here are the ones that I think are central to our conversation today. Uh, silence and solitude are essential because when we're quiet, then we're able to hear the still small voice of God. Mm. You know, think about Elijah on Mount Horeb. It was the, the, the gentle whisper. And we are all running at Mach 5 and we wonder why we don't know what God wants us to do. We wonder why we're always confused about his will for our lives. It's because we need to take time to slow down. Silence and solitude, Sabbath, is a, another essential thing. I still struggle with that in my yeah. walk with God. Mm -hmm. But when I take, when I think about this, when you take a Sabbath, you're, you're actually, it's an act of faith that you're trusting God <clears throat> for that 24 hour period of time that he's in control and you're not. 
and that you can trust him in that. Mm. So there's a discipline there. Uh, reading the word is essential. Reading, studying, whatever fits into that category. Memorizing scripture, I would say, of all of the disciplines is probably the most essential. In fact, I remember Dallas Willard saying one time that if there were only one spiritual discipline that he would practice, he said it would be uh, scripture memorization. Mm. Because what happens is, is that when you're memorizing scripture, then the Holy Spirit has access to that in the moment that you need it. Mm-hmm. And he can bring it up out of your non-conscious, even if it's something you've memorized. Because once you memorize something, it's there. Mm-hmm. Then he can access it and use it. Right. And so those are the those are the the five that I think are really really essential. Uh, and then Rob, d- again, another practical point you mentioned last time: where does our identity in Christ play into all of this? I really believe that knowing those verses of Scripture, and we we put a handout in the last show notes that gives you a list from Neil Anderson's book, Victory Over Darkness, that gives you a list of those truths. Again, what you pay attention to is is going to affect your quality of life. Yeah. What fires together, <clears throat> wires together. Yeah. Yeah. This is this has been so good, Ken. I feel like now every time we talk, it just sparks like ideas for more episodes. So we'll just uh, just keep your phone on. We'll probably, <laughs> probably hear from us sometime soon. Rob, I know you got to get going. So, so let's wrap it up. Ken, would you mind just praying for our listeners as we wrap up today? Absolutely. Thank you. Father, you know how wonderfully and amazingly made we are because you made us. And when we stop and consider all of these various aspects of uh, who you created us to be, we are in awe. Lord, the brain is an amazing, amazing thing. Uh, Our hearts, Lord, how they all interact and work together, it's beyond truly our ability to comprehend fully. Uh, We've talked about a lot of things in these last two podcasts. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would use whatever is helpful as a way of equipping uh, anyone who's listening to this with an understanding of your love for them, Uh, their status as your son or daughter in Christ, and that you would enable them through the power of the Spirit to think truthfully about who they are and who you are. And that, Lord, you would use that to reprogram our thinking so that we can not only have a more intimate relationship with you and with each other, but that we can truly begin to experience the qualities of the abundant life right here, right now, today, that you have made available to us. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. If you enjoyed this episode, consider giving us a rating or a review on iTunes. If you do, you'll help other people find us in the future. You can also listen to these episodes on YouTube. Subscribe to the Saddleback Church YouTube channel for these conversations, plus lots of video content. And if you're already listening to us on YouTube, subscribe to the Doable Discipleship Podcasts on Apple Podcasts or your favorite app so you can listen in the car or wherever else you go. Don't forget to visit saddleback.com doable to check out all our previous episodes. And go to saddleback.com grow to find spiritual growth resources and view a calendar of upcoming events. Lastly, you can always get in touch with us by emailing maturity at saddleback.com. Send us your thoughts, send us your questions, your Bible questions, your life questions, whatever. Who knows? Your question just might inspire an upcoming episode. Thanks again for tuning in to Doable Discipleship. I'm Doug Jones, and I hope you'll join us again next week. Thank you.